The following podcast is intended for mature married adults. While all the content is wholesome and biblical, there are topics not intended for young children or those who are not married. Listener discretion is advised. Over the next little bit, tonight and tomorrow, and you'll hear from my wife tomorrow, uh, tonight I kind of wanted to kick it off. We, we have been working on some concepts surrounding the games that we play in marriage. And you guys have done a phenomenal job just when uh, they ask us kind of what we may do. Um, when I told them this, I, this is tremendous. Uh, kudos to whoever put this together. But tonight I wanna talk to you for a little bit on the house rules of marriage. The house rules of marriage. It's, it's one of the things that I think we need to really look at, and I sometimes will present handouts and you guys can write things down, but I wanted to just, this weekend, I wanted you just to listen. Take notes if you want to, but listen, because sometimes I think we can get so, we can get so distracted by filling in all the blanks that we forget to take and just digest some things. So tonight, I'm gonna give you some, some rules, some house rules of marriage, and we'll apply them uh, in kind of the theme that we're in here tonight. Of all the things that I'm asked to do, one of the hardest for me as a speaker, as a leader, as even when I was a pastor, and even as a husband and, and an all-around great guy, one of the hardest things for me to do is to talk about marriage. And you say, well, why, that, why is that hard? And I'll tell you the reason why is because as a husband, I know my wife will say different, but as a husband, I've not quite got there yet. Okay, so whatever she says that is really good, know that as a husband, I haven't fully arrived to the perfect status. Any husbands perfect yet? Brother Ben, no, you're not. Not after the RV. No. Yeah, okay, they're good, good. But... We've not arrived at the epicenter of what a perfect husband should be. Now, no matter what she says, um, I'm just not there. Now, on another note, I have been a part of these retreats, these marriage conferences where it gets kind of uh, boring, I'm, I'll just be honest, and you're just like, dear Lord, can we just get out of here, go home? But usually the truth is this, all the wives here are hoping that my wife and I will drop some sort of bomb that will straighten out your husband. And all you guys showed up because you're just hoping you get some later. Hello. Baby, I went to marriage conference. It's midnight, dude. Now, we're gonna plan on being very practical over tonight and tomorrow, all right? And I trust that by the time that we're finished together in this place, we will have some things that we can work on in our marriages that will help us. Now, the truth is, if we wanna just get to the basis, the foundation of where we're gonna go, the truth is this. Our churches are really only as strong as our weakest marriages. Our churches are only as strong as our weakest marriages. So I commend you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come to this. No matter what your reason was, I'm glad that you showed up because it shows that you have some interest in helping your marriage become something that is stronger. Now, there are two forces that I believe God has planted in the world to show us his power, his redemptive power. Two forces that he placed in the world to influence and impact and make an incredible, incredible, uh, powerful impact upon. And those two forces are the church and the home. Everyone say the church and the home. Now, the enemy knows this. So what does he do? He fights the church and tries to destroy the family. He fights the church and tries to destroy marriages. 
And we're living in an age where the church is losing its influence and the family is losing its heart. So if there's anything that we need to do in this hour, we must stand our ground and establish some sort of guidelines to maintain who we are as families, who we are as husbands and wives, and who we are as the people of God. So tonight, as I open this up and talk about the house rules of marriage, I've already kind of shared with you, I, I grew up in a house of boys. I'm the oldest boy uh, of three. And in the sergeant household, anytime you played a game, you played to win, period. There, there, you know, second place was not an option. Second place was just a nice way of saying that you were a first place loser. Now, every home, every family, Every marriage has certain house rules that govern all things that are your family. Certain meals that you would eat, certain chores that you were required to complete, certain ways of dealing with disagreements, certain ways of celebrating holidays. Every family and every home have those expected but not necessarily discussed ways of doing things. You grew up in a home that did things a certain way. And each family is as different as night and day. Now, when I got married, there were certain things, there were certain ways that things were done in our home and in the sergeant family. These are just the normal, I thought they were just normal things that were totally foreign to Duana. Things that we did, we celebrated Christmas the right way in the sergeant home. We celebrated where you got to open up your presents on Christmas Eve. Can I get a witness in the house? But not in her home. It was Christmas morning. But bless God, I'm going to tell you what we do now. It's Christmas morning. There were things that her family did and ways they interacted that was a totally different way of life than what I was used to. I come from a family of, my, my father and mother have been involved in ministry my entire life. They were assistant pastor when I was born in, in, in Oregon and, and, and even in Idaho. My dad pastored and, and they've been involved in ministry. She doesn't come from that. She comes from a, a, a split home. She comes from a dynamic that she may share some of that with you tomorrow. But I come from a unique place. She came from a unique place. But we come into this marriage, both of us thinking of certain ways that the game should be played. You see, we all come into marriage with very unique expectations on how things should be. We walk into marriage with a box of certain desires that we think should be met in our marriage. We, we think certain rules should be enacted. We think this is the way that it was done in my home. This is what I think it should happen, how it should happen. This is what I'm expecting you to act like. But the truth be told, once you get married, things are totally different. You have two people entering into a lifelong relationship that have two separate ways of looking at things, two different expectations on how the game should be played. I remember when we played Monopoly for the first time in my parents' home with my brothers. My wife and I were dating, and uh, she'd come to visit, and we were playing. My brothers were there. When we played Monopoly, anything was on the table. There were no rules. I mean, you could literally make certain transactions that were totally acceptable in my home. You can make all kinds of deals with anyone in the game. Need rent, need free rent for five times around the board. Need to give a loan to someone, and in return, they'll give you all their get-out-of-jail-free cards. Anything was possible. We wheeled and dealed. But my wife, she likes to play by the rules. What are rules? Yes, it's a code for losing. You're right. <laughs> now, at first, she would get a little perturbed and try to fight it. But eventually, these were the sergeant house rules. So instead of fighting it, she became the biggest wheeler and dealer of all time. 
She started making transactions, and I'm like, who is this woman that I will marry? These were the sergeant boy's house rules, and she had a choice. She could fight it or figure out how to work the system. She's a smart lady, and when on my family's turf, she figured out how to make it work. Now, if we're playing the game in our house now, we play by the sergeant boy, her rules. Okay? Now, what I'm trying to basically say is this. Each of us brought into our marriage certain house rules. We did. That we thought were normal rules of living and normal rules of engagement that may have been so foreign to your spouse. And you can't come up with how you are going to blend these or make your own or establish your house rules moving forward. I promise you, there is going to be many days, if you can't figure how to blend these rules together, if you can't figure out how to take and compromise and, and stand your ground on one thing and take that and borrow from that, if you can't figure that out, you're going to have a lot of days of frustration. You'll have nights of disagreements. You'll maybe even have some nights where you're sleeping on the couch. Guys. So we all need to come to an understanding in our marriages of what is needed in love, in communication, in raising our children, in interacting with mother-in-laws. The worst thing God created. You know what the definition of mixed emotion is? Watching your mother-in-law go over a cliff in your brand new BMW. I'm sorry, I'm sorry for all the mother-in-laws. But we've got to come into this marriage understanding how we are going to make this work, how we're going to raise our children, how we're going to handle financial difficulties. Her family handled it that way. My family handled it this way. But now we are under one roof trying to make something work. A married couple was celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary, and at the party, everybody wanted to know how they managed to stay married so long in this day and age. To which the husband responded, when we first married, we came to an agreement. I would make all the major decisions, and my wife would make all the minor decisions. At which point, Sister Barkas took up the tail and said this, and in 60 years of marriage, we have never needed to make a major decision. Monopoly has four major parts to a turn. I want to break each of these down tonight, maybe help us get a better understanding of how we can make sure we have a successful marriage moving forward. Now, I'm going to go through these. We know them. There's roll the dice. There's buy properties. There's build properties. There's complete the turn, whatever. But let's first of all talk about rolling the dice. This is the first move that you make in Monopoly. When you stepped on that stage before that crowd or the justice of the peace, whoever it was, or Elvis if you're in Vegas, if you stepped on that stage, that platform in front of family and friends, you made this statement, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death, oh, do us part. We probably even didn't even consider what we were saying because we were just thinking of getting out of there and getting on with the honeymoon. Hello? Can I get away to somebody preach with me? Now, we may have even gone through the first year of marriage and, and, and not one single phrase of those vows come to our mind because everything was wonderful. But you know that first turn or two around the board doesn't hold a lot of concern. There's no rent to pay, incredible potential possibilities. You, you've got the whole board in front of you. But once you go around the board a time or two, three or four, things get a little bit more serious. All of a sudden, things change. Circumstances arise that you didn't see coming. Consequences appear out of nowhere. An unexpected sickness, financial struggles, loss of a job. Your mother-in-law moves two houses down. 
children, pets, maybe even a miscarriage or two. How you handle the roll of the dice during those moments in life determines the direction of your marriage into the future. Now, I think there are basically three areas that we can practice in times of uncertainties, circumstances, consequences, trouble. The first one is commitment. Everyone say commitment. Commitment is never tested in good times. Never. It's easy to stay committed when she never says no, guys. It's easy to stay committed when she says I don't have a headache tonight. Oh, come on, loosen up a little bit, all right. You wanna laugh, I know you do. It's easy to stay committed when he always takes care of things around the house. He never spends the afternoons after work two days a week with all the buddies of his. It's easy to stay committed during that. Commitment requires action. You can't just sit back and reflect on it or wish you had it. Acting purposely on your commitment from deep within your heart will accomplish the most that it can accomplish in that marriage relationship. You've got to be committed during the difficult moments that will come. It's not if they will come, it's when they will come. They will. You must be committed during those difficult moments. Commitment is not just a mere technicality. Commitment is the single most important aspect of our lives. It's so hard to, to count on someone who is not committed. Hard to trust someone that is not committed. Biblically, if we want to look at the Bible, commitment is expressed in a myriad of ways which we don't have a whole lot of time to fully dissect tonight, but stay with me for just a moment as I give you a few biblical principles regarding this concept of commitment. Number one, commitment reveals what we really prize in life. Commitment reveals what is truly important to us. You cannot be equally committed to opposing things. Luke 15.3 or 16.13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will love, be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot be halfway committed to your marriage and expect to make it when the going gets tough. And here's what I have learned. When we never commit, it shows what we don't value. So commitment, commitment reveals what we really prize in life, what's truly important to us. What else does commitment do? Well, commitment sets the course for our lives. Look at what Joshua said in 24, 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, whom land, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It was a commitment. The Israelites wanted everything they could get without commitment. They wanted what God could give them without committing to following him with their whole heart. That's the problem in our culture today. We are seeing it more now than ever before. We want the perks of marriage without the responsibility and commitment of marriage. Thirdly, commitments made today determine tomorrow's destiny. Mark 8, 36 and 37 says this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? When you and I spend our lives focused on only what is good for us, it makes us feel better rather than committing to our spouse, to our family, and to God. We are working on a portfolio of things that are only temporal, working on things that you can't really take with you. Hear me and hear me well. My number one responsibility as a husband, my number one responsibility as a father is to is for the salvation of my family. That's the number one thing. It's not my job. It's not my hobbies. It's the salvation of my tribe. 
and I don't have anybody to push that responsibility. Pastor Carson can't take that responsibility for me. Your youth pastor couldn't take that responsibility. You have to understand, it's my responsibility. I have to understand it's for the salvation of my family and my tribe. Second area I think we really need to look at is communication. We've all struggled with communication. I, I hear it often from couples who like to brag, well, we never fight. Oh, please. This always gives me pause because even good marriages have conflict. Even good people destroy RVs. People have disagreements. It's not a big deal if you fight, as long as you fight fair. Be kind. Listen. Seek understanding. The goal of your marriage is not to avoid fights, but to resolve conflict. You're bringing two different sets of rules into the house. You're going to have conflict. How you handle that. Talk it out instead of walking it out. What do you mean by that? Don't run from the issue. Talk it out. Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What is he saying? Get it taken care of before you go to sleep. Talk it out. A lack of communication precedes almost every problem that arises in marriage. Almost every problem. I thought I had communicated to my wife correctly while we were dating that these were my fries. These were mine. Why do you keep reaching over and taking my fries? I just want a couple of them. Order your own fries. Come on. But apparently I didn't get that across clear enough in the dating relationship. So what does she do now? She doesn't order her own fries. She eats my fries. And I still have issues, as you can tell. <laughs> Communication. Communication is so crucial in marriages, folks. It's one of the most important things that a husband and a wife can do together because communication transcends, in my opinion, communication transcends everything. Every cause of stress in marriage, every cause of stress with the kids, the money, sex, whatever, can be addressed with honest, open communication. So when life hands you a difficult roll of the dice, learn to talk about it instead of sweeping it under the rug like it doesn't exist. A husband and wife were at a party chatting with some friends when the subject of marriage counseling came up. Oh, we'll never need that. My wife and I have a great relationship, the husband explained. She was a communications major in college, and I majored in theatrical arts. So he continues. She communicates well, and I act like I'm listening. While attending a marriage seminar on communication, Tom and his wife, Grace, listened to the instructor. It is essential that husbands and wives know each other's likes and dislikes. He addressed the men. Can you name your wife's favorite flower? Tom leaned over, touched Grace's arm gently, and whispered, it's gold medal, isn't it? Gold medal flower? Flower? Okay. Yeah. Some of y'all don't cook, do you? <laughs> Communication. Some of the blondes in the crowd are just getting it. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Communication. It forms the connection that allows you to understand each other and grow closer together. When communication grows quiet in your marriage, when communication grows quiet in your marriage, when you stop communication, your relationship gets cold, distant, and unsatisfying. You know why some people leave their marriage? It started with a lack of communication in the marriage. Let's talk about community. Together, 
We've heard the statement, teamwork makes the dream work. Marriages don't make it when they're done in silos all by themselves. God created Adam and Eve and told them to impact their world by joining as one, by leaving and cleaving. We still have 35-year-olds living with their mamas, playing video games in the basement, wondering why their wife is frustrated. Life is engaged on how well you've done in whatever video game that you play. Move out of your mama's basement, Jack, and get a job and punch a hole in the Xbox. Nothing wrong with an Xbox. You know what our biggest challenge is right now? Boy, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm a recovering pastor, Brother Carson, so please forgive me, okay? I pastored for 20 years. I'm recovering now. What's wrong with you? I'm a pastor. I'm done. My wife and I are done. I mean, this is what we live for right now. Our biggest problem is this right here. Hello? I read a book several years ago called Hamlet's Blackberry. Phenomenal book on taking sabbaticals away from our phones. If we're more interested in how many likes you're getting on Instagram than how many likes you're getting in the bedroom, hello? Come on. We got a problem when this has become an issue in our lives. We've got to be careful because these things... They're needed. We use them. They're important tools. We can't live without them. I get it. But don't let this replace your communication. You know, we've been guilty of this in our own home. Texting our family when we are, it's dinner time. How many have done that? Yeah. They're upstairs. They're downstairs. They're outside. Wherever. It's dinner. You know how I knew it was dinner? Mama opened up the front door and said, dinner! And I went. All right, I better be careful. In working together, we accomplish more. I believe there needs to be three core elements to this thing called community or working together as a team. Number one, there needs to be coordination. Without coordination, your marriage will face conflict and tension. You will find yourself working against each other. Coordination simply means figuring out a way to work together that uses both partners' talents and abilities. It doesn't mean competing with each other or letting one person do all the work. When your efforts are coordinated, life goes a whole lot more smoothly and more accomplished. One of the hardest things for me, I'll just be honest, I was born this way, okay? I let the cat out of the bag. That's not a joke. That's can't count that one, okay? My family counts all my one-arm jokes when I'm preaching. One of the hardest things for me, I have basically done everything myself. My dad never gave excuses for me. I, I'll tell this story. This is how I was raised, okay? We lived on a farm in Idaho. We are, the year I graduated from high school was 1987. We Buddies, we're going to do the homecoming bonfire, and our, our big, we had 12 acres. We're going to, everyone is a big contest. All these pallets, all this wood collected over a month span. And so we had this huge pile in our, in our field. And so we were putting up an 87 sign. We had built an eight out of pole lumber, and we used the scoop of a tractor and got it up there propped up. And my buddy says, you know, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go get my dad's boom truck. It was a boom that was used for baling hay. You'd swing down, pick it up, put the hay up. And so we get this seven built, and we put the hook at the end of the seven, and two of my buddies are down there. I'm senior in high school, and I'm, I'm like this. I'm, I'm holding this seven up as it's moving up. All of a sudden, that thing started to slide, and that hook goes through my arm. And I'm like hanging like this, like, ah! It's gone through, the muscle and everything. They pulled, the, they shut it down instantly. I yanked the, the hook out of my arm, and I grabbed it, and I screamed for my dad. He comes running over, and he goes, I said, I think we got to go to the hospital. Okay, get in the car, son. And so I get in the car, and on the way, I'm, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to pass out, Dad. No, Sergeant Boy's going to pass out in my car. Roll down the window. <laughs> I was like, dear Lord, I'm dying. But 
I basically had learned to do everything myself. Or I felt like when we first got married, married, married that I needed to do it all. You've got to learn to coordinate. Sometimes we need to just basically understand, focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Learn what the ebb and flow is in your marriage relationship. My wife is tremendous at things that I don't even have a clue what I'm doing. If I get involved, it's going to be a mess. For instance, anything that comes from Ikea is from the pit of hell. Can I get a witness? Thank you. Thank you. Those Swedes are wicked. I mean, putting that stuff together with one hand, I get frustrated. I'm drilling the drill through my eyeball. My wife finally said, enough. We're not doing this together. No. So she puts it together now. She should have her own HGTV show. Life with a one-armed carpenter. Life with a one-armed wallpaper hanger. I'm short-handed, okay? I recognize there's some things we learn to coordinate. We learn to work together. Guys, you don't have to do it all. Wives, you don't have to do it all. There needs to be this ebb and flow. Not only should there be coordination, there should be consideration. Without consideration, feelings are hurt. Your dreams slip through your fingers. A lack of consideration for your spouse's selfishness. And selfish players always undermine a team. I don't care how good Michael Jordan was. He learned to work with Scottie Pippen. I don't care how good Kobe Bryant was. He had Shaquille O'Neal to work with. You've got to understand this idea of considering the other person because if you don't and you're selfish and it's all about you, you're undermining the team. True teammates show consideration for their partner's feelings. True teamwork shows consideration for their partner's interests and needs and desires and preferences. You know, Peter even told husbands, he said, listen, guys, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayer. You know why some of our prayers aren't getting answered, guys? We're not considering our wives. There's no consideration. Lack of consideration blocks your wishes while real consideration ultimately gives you what you want. This works for both husbands and wives. As I am considerate and sensitive to Dewana, and she is considerate and sensitive to me, it builds something in the relationship. Because when I'm considerate to her and I show that consideration, what she gives back often far exceeds what I gave her in the first place. When we're considerate with each other, our communication and our coordination begins to improve and so does our marriage. <laughs> Sitting in the stands at a baseball game, a lady critic yelled out, Up! If I was your wife, I'd feed you poison." This was all the baseball umpire could stomach. Glaring back, he shouted, and if I were your husband, I'd take it. <laughs> Not only does there need to be consideration, there needs to be clarity. I, I, wanna, I wanna get through this tonight. Bear with me for just a few more moments. Without clarity of a vision, a team has no goal or direction. Players will wander aimlessly in circles or slip into that deaded, dreaded downward spiral. Dreams give us clarity. They energize us and motivate us and give us hope. Someone once said that if you aim at nothing, you'll probably hit it. Don't let this happen to you in your marriage. Dream big and dream together. What could our family look like in the context 
of the kingdom of God. What could our marriage look like? Plan for the future with excitement and anticipation. Robert F. Kennedy once said this. He said, some men see things as they are and say, why? But I dream of things that never were and say, why not? A couple who is looking in the same direction can walk forward hand in hand, well, some of us, with determination and satisfaction. We all need dreams, plus the passion and courage to pursue them. My wife and I decided before we had children, we are going to make sure they're involved in the kingdom of God. That was our dream. I don't care if they were a millionaire. I don't care if they became a lawyer. I just wanted to make sure they were invested in something that would outlive them. I'm going to submit something to you tonight. This is my opinion. But I think marriages cannot truly be successful until they are conducted within the circumference of community. You need the community of the body of Christ to have a healthy, successful marriage. You do. Marriage needs to be seen. I'm going to make a statement here. And I'm still, God gave this to me about three, four months ago. And I'm still unpacking it. And I'm still working through it. But we have got to get to the place where marriage is seen as a ministry. It's a ministry. It's not just the benefits of marriage. Marriage is a ministry. Not just an obligation, not just a relationship, it's a ministry. Marriage impacts more than just your husband or your wife. Adam and Eve were created to make a difference in the world. So we rolled the dice and we got all these things happen. Let me go to the second one real quick. The second thing you do after you roll the dice is you have the option to buy property. We have lived, we've raised our children, we've worked through struggles, my wife and I, by understanding that we must invest in those things that will outlive us. Our greatest job is to invest in what God has given to us. And your investment in buying properties in the game, Monopoly, ensures that you have a better chance of winning the game because investments pay off in the long run. Someone once said, yeah, someone one may say this, yeah, but you may also go bankrupt if you invest too much money. True, true. But how you invest determines how you end up. There is such a thing, we all know if you're involved in business, as the ROI, a return on your investment. A return on investment is a performance measure used to evaluate the efficiency or profitability of an investment or compare the efficiency of a number of different investments. A return on investments. I want to take that word, those, that phrase, return on investments, and I want to talk to you about the spiritual ROI for just a moment. You need to invest in your relationship. You're showing you're doing that by being here tonight. You show you do that by going out on date nights. If you stopped investing in your savings account, you wouldn't be very surprised when you had very little money in it. Don't get lazy about your relationship. Relationships need a regular investment of time and effort to grow. Time and energy. Spend special nights together. Take fancy trips. Have creative dating nights. Do something out of the ordinary. Get creative with your relationship. The R, the I, invest, or the O, invest in others. Invest in things, I've already said it, that will outlive you. I go back to marriage needs to be seen as a ministry. Your children need your investment. I'm going to say that again. Your children need your investment. One of the greatest things our children can pick up from you and I is that we actively commit to making marriage a priority. You want your children to have a successful marriage? Pattern it. Show it. Marriage doesn't work in a laboratory with white lab coats and beakers filled with chemicals. Finally, invest in the I, which is intimacy. Okay, this is the moment all the guys have been waiting for. All right, preach it, Sergeant. Preach it down. My wife needs to hear this. She has a headache every night. I'm going to just 
burst your bubble right here. Intimacy is more than sex. All right? I said it. Now I need to talk about it so I don't get run out of here tonight. Sex is a major part of marriage. It is. It's a wonderful part of marriage. Could we just give God some thanks right now for, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Dismissed, everyone home. <laughs> How long are they watching the kids? <laughs> it's vital, it's important. It's created by God, but it is not the only thing there is to marriage. People much smarter than I state that there are basically four types of intimacy. There's emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy involves candid, authentic sharing of thoughts and feelings. This involves vulnerability. There's intellectual intimacy, comfort with communicating beliefs and viewpoints without worrying about potential conflicts. That creates intellectual intimacy. There's experiential intimacy, praise the Lord. Shared experiences that lead to inside jokes and private memories that can intensify a connection. The act of teamwork and moving in unison toward a common goal while creating an experience also establishes a feeling of closeness. And this bond is the result of experiential intimacy. And then finally, there's spiritual intimacy. Connect on a spiritual level, praying together in the altar at home with the children. One of the most powerful things everywhere that I am blessed to minister is watching husbands and wives in the altar, hands together, feeling the power and the presence of God. Nothing is more powerful than that. The third move in monopolies, you got to build on your property. Understand that a continual effort to build on what has been established in your marriage will protect you from trying to demo the structure and start over. So I would encourage you to build deep. Look at your partner and say, build deep. Roots keep things from toppling over, folks. Make sure you're working on your character. Let, let me say this. Marriage is the ultimate test of character. It shows what is inside of you. When you roll over in the morning and look at that and you say, dear God, I didn't know I married a Sasquatch. <laughs> oh Lord, did you brush your teeth at six o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Bill Deep. God is more interested in our character than he is our comfort, folks. Can I say that again? God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. You want a comfortable marriage? You want an easy, just easy peasy marriage? That's not what it's about. God didn't put you two together to make you happy. He put you two together to make you holy. That's what marriage is about. Build deep, but build high. We can only go as high as our character is deep. This speaks to me of keeping our focus on the creator and build wide, build deep, build high, and build wide. What are you saying? I'm just about finished. Strive to build and leave a legacy. I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. That's building wide. I'm stretching things out. My grandfather was in his 20s when he came to the Lord. He was a lumberjack in the mountains of Washington. He sawed those big redwoods with one of those, those, uh, those axes or saws, I guess you should say. He had one person on one side. My grandfather was a cussing, carousing type of guy, very popular. Him and uh, my grandmother, very popular in their small town of Morton, Washington. And one day... An apostolic ended up on the other side of the saw. Started witnessing. Sid, you won't believe what happened at church last night. 
I don't want to hear it, you blankety blank. Beep. But day in and day out, Sid, Jesus is amazing. I'm telling you. My grandfather got so sick of it, he finally said, all right, I'll go to church with you. He went to church with him one time, and that's all it took. It's real, it's real, I know it's real. He got the Holy Ghost. He went home and told Ruby. Ruby said, I don't want anything to do. Pentecostals were made fun of. They were laughed about. That little church down on the corner in that little small town was ridiculed and mocked, but he kept telling her, Ruby, please go to church with me. I don't want to go to church with you. I, I'm not going to be a Pentecostal. I don't know what you've got. It's, it's ridiculous. He came home from work, day, from work one day, and all her bags were packed. She goes, take me to my dad's farm. Tears running down his face. Ruby, please. No, I don't want anything to do. Marriage is over. We are, I'm, we're, we're divorcing. I'm leaving. I am not going to church with you, Sid. Halfway down this, the road as my grandfather's in that car praying under his breath, God, get hold of Ruby's heart. Get hold of Ruby's heart. Get hold of Ruby's heart. Finally, she said, stop the car, Sid. What? Turn around, we're going home and I'll go to church with you. She went to church with him once. And guess what happened to her? She got the Holy Ghost. And out of that have spawned almost seven preachers, missionaries to South America, preachers, grandchildren living for God, great-grandchildren living for God, because he decided, I'm going to build wide. Finally, complete the necessary actions. This is the fourth rule. The game goes on. In your marriage, you're going to wake up one day and land on chance, and you're going to have to take three steps back. You're going to land on chance and have to make some repairs to some things that maybe you messed up. Just keep moving forward. Life and marriage and kids is all about how you handle the wins and the losses that come your way. Remember, God put her in your life. Remember, God put him in your life. They are worth the investment no matter what comes your way. Listen, don't quit before the game is over. You have too much invested now. It's too deep now. It's too wide now. I have more responsibility. Stand with me. I have more responsibility now than I did when her and I first got married on August 13th, August 21st. <laughs> Let me explain. Her birthday's the 13th. On August 21st, 1993, I have a lot more at stake now, Brother Carson, than I did when it was just her and I leaving in a Rolls Royce to get on with the honeymoon. Marriage is ministry. Marriage is recognizing that we are revealing to the world the redemptive power, Brother Barkus, of what Christ came to do. It's not just so you can get all the benefits and the perks. It is about you impacting the world. It's about people seeing you, a living example, and saying, look at that family. Let me tell the story real quick. It's one of the saddest things I'd ever seen in my life. We pastored in the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles for about four years, a town called Van Nuys, California. Van Nuys is the porn capital of the world. All the adult studios are there. You, it, it was vile. You could feel the oppression. God began to work and God began to move and just good things were happening. The church was growing and, and we would see all these different movie stars and people and and one day, I'm, I'm standing in an IHOP one Saturday morning early. I, I brought some study materials, going to do some work in an IHOP. And everyone in the lobby is a crowded lobby. Everyone's looking at me. And I'm thinking, I am the Bishop of Los Angeles. Finally, people, what I didn't know is Alec Baldwin was standing right next to me. They weren't looking at me. They were looking at him. And his daughter, she was quite young at that time, Ireland was standing right next to him. So I struck up a conversation. 
It was common. We'd see these type of people all the time. I said, how you doing, Mr. Baldwin? I'm doing good. We talked for a few moments. Nothing major. I didn't want to bug him, but just wanted to strike up a conversation. I wanted to give him my card and a tithing envelope. Just tease him. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I sat down, and they set kind of a, some booths on the other side. Alex's back was to me, first name basis. Alex's back was to me. Ireland was probably 12, 13. They got up to use the restroom. They went together, and he stood outside the restroom while she went in, and then she did the same when he went in. There was a family, just a normal family, on a Saturday over in a corner booth, probably about five of them, just having a time of their life. They're laughing. They're throwing sugar packets at each other. They're enjoying life. Mom and dad are laughing. It was a great family unit. And the look on that poor girl's face broke my heart. I don't know if they knew Jesus. I didn't know if that family had any connection with the church at all. But I saw something in that girl that said, I wish I had that. How many times have we become so frustrated with each other when out in public we don't recognize that our marriage is a ministry? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We have to understand that God wants to build something in this last hour that is so impactful, so powerful. It's going to start with our marriages. It's going to start with our families. And I want the Holy Ghost to help us. Could you just talk to God for just a moment? Could you lift your voice and lift your hands? God, would you help us to be the people that you've called us to be? God, to have the marriage that you've called us to have. God, to return on investment, God, to make sure that we're building wide and we're building deep and we're building high, God. I pray blessing on the marriages in this place tonight, that every life would be touched, that every life would be strengthened by what goes on, amen, today and tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Could we just clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise as Pastor Carson comes?